Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. It is Luke, the 14th chapter, where we're going to be studying from in just a few moments. I'll invite you to be finding Luke, chapter 14, in your Bible right now as we open up the Word of God in this part of our worship. We'll just be working in Luke 14 all morning long. And as you're turning there, I'll just say we've got a great number in attendance. I'm encouraged by your presence, especially if you're visiting with us. We're really glad that you're here I've been edified and built up by the time that we've spent already this morning singing and praising God in song and in prayer. And I hope that you likewise are able to say the same thing, that you're being encouraged as we magnify the Lord together here on this first day of the week. Glad to have Skid Row good and filled up right here to my left uh, this morning. I am excited today to introduce the preaching theme for 2018. And it is based upon a statement that's found in Acts chapter 4 and in verse 13 where the Bible says there that the Sanhedrin council, they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived that they were uneducated common men, and they were astonished. And so they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What's it like to be with Jesus? Well, in one sense, we will never know what it's like to be with Jesus because we didn't live during the time that Jesus walked upon this earth. But there is another sense in which we can be with Jesus. And that is through the pages of Scripture. The Holy Spirit has went out of His way to provide us with not one, not two, not three, but four, four accounts of the life of Jesus. The things that He did, the words that He spoke, the places that He went, the people that He encountered. And so it is through those four gospel accounts that we do have the opportunity to watch Jesus, to listen to Jesus, to travel with Jesus, to sit beside Jesus. And so for the next 12 months, that's exactly what we're going to do. At least once a month, we are going to spend time with Jesus. We will focus this year on specific episodes in the life of Christ taken right out of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. And I want to tell you why we're going to do that. We're going to do that for a number of different reasons. First of all, I think it will help to accentuate our Bible reading program for this year. This year we are reading together in the New Testament. We've titled that reading schedule, Journeys with Jesus, I think the things that we'll preach on will help bring to life even more the things that we study in those gospel accounts. Secondly, I'll just say, it's never a bad idea to have more preaching on Jesus. In fact, I worry that I have not preached enough on the life of Jesus, and so it is my intention this year to try and correct some of that. But then thirdly, and really most importantly, we want to spend more time with Jesus so that we can become like Jesus. The more we are with Him, then the more we will be like Him. And that is the goal of Christianity. Peter and John in that verse in Acts chapter 4, they were recognized as being disciples and followers of Jesus Christ because of their boldness. Let me ask you, where do you think they got that boldness from? They got it from being with Jesus. And I look forward this year to doing that very same thing, being with Jesus in the Gospels. And that's going to begin right now in Luke chapter 14. Read with me, if you will. Read with me just in verse 15. In Luke 14 and in verse 15, there the Bible says that when one of those who reclined at the table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, 
Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. What's it like? What's it like to have Jesus come to your house and eat supper? Have you ever thought about that? You ought to think about that. There is lots of eating going on in the New Testament. There's lots of eating going on. And most of the time, it's Jesus who's doing the eating with some folks. Sometimes Jesus just invites Himself over to your house like He did in the case of Zacchaeus. But most of the time, Jesus is the one who is invited. And of course, Jesus is the guest of honor. In fact, many of the most memorable scenes in Jesus' life, they happened around a dinner table. Like, like a woman who was so overcome by her sins that she walked in right in the middle of dinner, weeping, shedding tears, and she begins to wash Jesus' feet with the very tears that she shed and then dried it with her own hair. Or maybe that scene where Martha is squabbling with her sister Mary while Martha is trying to serve Jesus and all of the other guests dinner. Or maybe one of the most memorable scenes around a dinner table, Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper as He and His disciples observed the Passover meal. All of those episodes occurred at a dining room table. In biblical times, of course, that meant that people were reclining at the table. They weren't necessarily sitting in upright seats like we do today. But there's lots of important scenes in Jesus' life that happen. They happen right there at a dinner table. Just like this scene here in Luke chapter 14. In fact, get a little context. Back all the way up to verse 1 of Luke 14. Verse 1 tells us that Jesus is there in this place. And in fact, there's lots of tension in the air. Luke 14 verse 1, On the Sabbath day, Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, and they were watching Him carefully. You know, Jesus and the Pharisees, they weren't exactly best buddies. They were always watching and scouting Him. And by that same token, Jesus, He was always rebuking the Pharisees, always pointing out their hypocrisy as they walked around and flaunted being the guardians of all righteousness. And Jesus often pointed out that they weren't nearly as righteous as they thought they were. In fact, right here in the first six verses of Luke chapter 14, what's Jesus doing? The Bible tells us there in those first six verses, Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath day. That drove the Pharisees crazy. Then beginning in verse 7, Jesus tells a parable about how everybody at these kind of feasts, these kinds of social gatherings, they're always jockeying for position to see who can get the best seat, the seat of honor in those places. You can imagine as Jesus is saying these kinds of things, doing these kinds of things, people are pretty much starting to kind of, just kind of starting to feel a little bit, little bit tense. It's a little bit strained in that room. But Jesus still isn't done yet. Look at verse 12. Jesus looks right at the fellow who had invited him to his house. And in verse 12, Jesus says to him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. Jesus says, Hey, buddy, you invited me here because you thought I was going to do something for you, didn't you? And in fact, you shouldn't be taking invitations from other people as well because you just want them to do something for you as well. Wow. Imagine Jesus saying and doing all of this. Can you just kind of feel the, the awkward silence just maybe kind of settling into the room? Well, that's why when we get to verse 15, we have this guy speak up. You know, there's always going to be somebody in the crowd who wants to try to 
patch it up and cover it over and smooth things out and make just kind of kind of break the ice a little bit. Always going to be somebody here. There's this big tense, uncomfortable moment. And so this fellow in verse 15, he just shouts, uh, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. And Jesus never misses a beat. Jesus says, you know what, buddy? Since you brought that up, let's just talk about that too. This thinking that everybody is going to be eating bread in the kingdom of God, that's kind of a generic way of saying, hey, won't it be great when we all get to heaven someday? Jesus says, you know what, friend? It's not going to be exactly like you think it's going to be. You can almost imagine the man maybe sheepishly saying, it's not. And Jesus saying, nope. Verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet. He invited many. I want to talk with you this morning about that great banquet. I want to hear what Jesus had to say right there in the middle of that feast to a whole bunch of people who thought they were just sure that they were going to go to heaven. You should note, and I will note repeatedly throughout this sermon this morning, that we are a lot like those people sitting in that room around that table. In fact, we sometimes sing a song about that. We sing that song, when we all get to heaven. Sing that song. It's a great song. I love that song. But what would it be like if we sang that song in worship this morning, and then maybe you invited Jesus to come to your house afterwards, going to come and have lunch afterwards at your home, and as you're sitting there around the dinner table and you're talking to Jesus, you say, Jesus, man, wasn't that a great worship period this morning? Remember that song we sang, when we all get to heaven? Boy, isn't that a wonderful song? When we all get to heaven. Imagine Jesus looked at you very pointedly and said, Yeah, I want to say something about that, about that when we all get to heaven business. Do you want to hear what Jesus has to say about that? I know that I want to hear what Jesus has to say about that. Which is why this morning we need to listen. We need to listen to the parable of the great banquet. Verse 16 again. A man once gave a great banquet. He invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, and he said, come, come, for everything is now ready. Now, this is a wonderful start to this parable. Because everybody who was in that room when Jesus was telling the story, everybody in the room could see themselves in this story. Remember where Jesus is here. Jesus is in the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. What kind of a house do you think a ruler of the Pharisees would have? Mm, He would probably have a really, really nice house. And what kind of people do you think would be eating in a ruler of the Pharisees' house? Well, those would be really, really nice people. The most important people. The most righteous kinds of people. There wouldn't be any scandalous sinners invited to that feast. There wouldn't be any prostitutes. We're not inviting tax collectors to this particular feast. We've got all the right people here doing all the right things in all the right ways. And so Jesus says to that crowd of people, He says, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story about a big old banquet. Probably not unlike this banquet we're at right here. Let me tell you about the biggest social event of the year. And all the people who were sitting there in that room, they must have been thinking, oh yes, yes, I can imagine this. I would be there. I would be invited to such an event as this. I know that my name would be right there near the top of that guest list. 
Jesus just kind of draws everybody in right here at the start of this parable because everybody thinking, yes, I'm definitely in. And yet what Jesus is going to say, He's going to use this story to say something about the position of the privileged who just assume that everything is good between them and God. And I want to say to you this morning that I think there is tremendous application here to people who sit in a church of Christ on a Sunday morning. Would you think very carefully about that? You know, we spend a fair amount of time pointing out all that is wrong in the religious world today. We talk about and we decry the various apostasies that have gone on in the various denominations of men. And we talk about how people need to get back to the simple pattern of New Testament Christianity. And so as a result, we come here on a Sunday morning and we know where we stand on those things. We know what we're doing and we kind of pat ourselves on the back. Because we're worshiping like those early Christians did. We're not having skits and plays and rock concerts and all kinds of ballyhoo. And we know as well that we're teaching the Bible plan of salvation. Hearing, believing, repenting, confessing, and being baptized. We're not teaching stuff like the sinner's prayer or faith-only salvation. And as we do all of that, what are we thinking? We're thinking, we're doing it right. We're teaching the right things. We're practicing the right things. We are right. We are so right. Now, I want to say right here, that does not mean that we should stop trying to be right, nor does that mean that we should stop addressing religious error. You know what it does mean? It does mean that something very terrible can happen to people who want so much to be right. We can become arrogant. We can become haughty. We can become proud. We can become fixated on ourselves. We can take the invitation of the Master for granted. We can assume that, oh, we are very much in because after all, look at all them out there. They most certainly are not in. They are out. Let me say to you, if we read this parable this morning, and all we can do as we read it is think about others, then that alone should be a huge warning sign that we are missing it. We are missing the point that Jesus is trying to make. Because that man there in verse 15 who blurted out, Blessed is everybody who eats bread in the kingdom of God. That fella, he most certainly had decided that, oh, I'm in. I know that I'm going to be there. I'm definitely going to be in that great number. I'm in that feast. No danger for me. Yet Jesus looks at him and he says, Are you so sure about that? Don't just assume that because of all your rightness, that that automatically ensures you a seat at the table. The parable continues. After sending out these invitations for the great banquet, verse 18 says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I've married a wife and therefore I cannot come. Now, up to this point, you should know that the parable reflects standard Middle Eastern procedures for social gatherings. In Jesus' time, it was very common to send two 
invitations. If you were going to be having some kind of a big gathering, some kind of an event, you would send two invitations. There would first of all be an invitation to tell you about the day of the banquet. And so you would then RSVP. Then, when the day finally came and the banquet was ready, then the servants would then be sent out and they would then extend kind of this second invitation to say, now, now is the time, everything's ready, now you can come and take part in the feast. It's kind of like today, we still kind of get kind of the two invitation deal. You think about when somebody's getting married, they send out those save the date postcards. That's to let you know, hey, we, we've got the date set. We don't got all the logistics and all the other stuff about the wedding ceremony set yet. But here's the date. Please you know, mark this on your calendar. Clear your schedule off so that you can be there on that date. And that's kind of how things are working in this parable. These people, they have received an invitation. And this is very important for you to understand. These people that are being talked about here, they've RSVP'd. They got that initial invitation and they RSVP'd. They said, okay, that's the date it's going to be on. We'll be there. You can count on us. We are going to be there. But then beginning in verse 18, when the date of the banquet finally does arrive and the servant says, come, all things are ready, then the guests, they begin to make excuse one by one by one as to why they can't come. And what's the common thread in all of these excuses? The common thread in all of these excuses is that they're all just lame. Everything that everybody says here in verses 18, 19, and 20 is just utterly feeble and weak and lame. Like, for example, the fellow in verse 18. The guy who says, I bought a field, I need to go and see it. Who buys a field without looking at it first? It just doesn't seem like a real good investment of your money. And you know what? If you did buy land without seeing it first, why do you need to go see it now? You know, one of the good things about land is that it doesn't move a whole lot. You bought it. It's there. It's going to be there. Go look at your land tomorrow. And then what about the guy in the next verse, verse 19, the guy with the oxen? I bought five yoke of oxen. That's a whole bunch of oxen. That probably indicates that this fellow's pretty wealthy, probably had some ability. But again, who goes and buys oxen without trying them out first? And again, since you got them, you've already got them. They're going to be there tomorrow. You said you were going to come to the feast. Leave your cows till later and come to the feast. And then, of course, the last fellow there in verse 20, I think we're kind of inclined to maybe give that guy a pass. Hey, I've married. Married a wife. And I can't come. And it is true that under the law of Moses, if you got married, you were exempted from military service for one year. But you know what Jesus shows us in this parable? Jesus shows us that while marriage does certainly have its obligations, it doesn't cancel out every obligation. It does not exempt you from every other responsibility. Hey buddy, you knew you had a wife when you accepted the invitation in the first place and you said you were still going to come. So why all of a sudden if things change and now you can't come? You see, all of these excuses are just pitiful. In fact, if you or I, if we were sitting in that scene in that ruler's house there in Luke chapter 14, and Jesus is telling this story and He's kind of bringing us and drawing us in here, you probably would have looked around and you probably would have seen people just absolutely just shocked, mortified. Well, I can't believe somebody would do that. What an insult that would be to the host. How could somebody... What kind of lame excuses are these to somebody who has prepared this great and amazing thing? It'd be like somebody today saying, hey, I got an invitation 
to go and sit courtside right next to Coach Cal for Kentucky's next home game. I did. I got the VIP treatment at Rupp Arena, get special parking, get all kinds of perks and privileges, get to meet and greet with the players and with the coaches, then get to watch the game right there on the bench, right there next to Coach Cal. And somebody says, wow, that sounds awesome. How was it? And you say, eh, we didn't go. We decided not to go. The wife and I, we've been looking for a used car, so we just kind of hung around and looked at the used car lot all day yesterday. What? What would we think of somebody like that? Have you lost your mind? What are you doing looking at used cars? You had this invitation, this great opportunity. What kind of a lame excuse is that? What are you thinking? And I think Jesus gives us lame excuses like this to press this very point. Because what would we think of someone who says, yeah, I received an invitation. I received an invitation to go to heaven. An invitation to go and to live with the Creator of everyone and everything. In a place that defies all logic and comprehension. In endless joy and bliss. But I replied to that invitation by saying, eh... My favorite television show was on tonight at 6 o'clock, so, eh, you know, I just kind of stayed home and watched that. Or, eh, you know, my kids had homework, and it's a school night, and we got to get to bed early, so eh, I couldn't come. Eh, we were going to go shopping this afternoon, and I just wasn't really sure if we're going to make it back in time. If all of those kinds of things, if they sound incredibly lame, it's because they are incredibly lame. You know, I'm afraid that far too often we don't think in those terms. When the invitation initially goes forth, when the invitation is sounded, who wants to go to heaven? Everybody shoots their hand up. I'd like to say with 100% certainty, every person in this room this morning would raise their hand. Yep, I want to go to heaven. But then as soon as Jesus comes along to give kind of the second invitation, the invitation that says, all right, all things are ready. Who's ready now to be a committed follower of me? Who's ready to take up their cross daily to follow me? Who's ready to be constant in worship? Who's ready to be dead to sin? Who's ready to live the life of a disciple of mine? Who's ready to do that? Eh, suddenly there's a whole lot less enthusiasm. Why is that? Why is that? I'll tell you why that is. It's because we don't always want to do what it takes to accept that invitation. Boy, I'd like to go to that banquet. Just as long as it doesn't cost me anything. Just as long as it doesn't inconvenience me too much. But Jesus' parable points out to us that if you're going to accept the invitation, if you want to go to heaven... You're going to have to make some choices. In fact, you're going to have to make some hard choices. You can't go look at your field. You can't go examine your cows. You can't go out on a date with your wife and still go to the banquet. You'll have to decide what it is that you want the most. You'll have to decide what you really want to do. Economists call that the opportunity cost. That is, doing one thing going to cost you the chance to do something else. And so if you want to go to heaven, you're going to have to give up some other things over here in order to do that. You'll have to do, for example, what Jesus says. And that means as well, there's going to be some things that Jesus says you can't do. 
And of course, that's exactly when the excuses just start pouring in hot and heavy. Well, you know, we'd be there for Wednesday night Bible class, but ah, you know how it is. Oh, we wanted to come to the gospel meeting, but... Oh, I'd like to get serious about that Bible reading, doing that on a daily basis, but... Oh, I intended to be at worship on Sunday night, but... Well, you know how it goes. On and on and on, the lame excuses come. You mark it down. Just as none of the excuses that the people in the parable offered, none of those things were anything but utterly feeble, so too will be the excuses that people, the excuses that we use today for stiffing to come to the feast, stiffing the king for his invitation to come and be part of his banquet. One writer said about Luke 14, he said... Our possessions and our affections cover virtually every reason why men and women give their regrets to the kingdom of God. And I think that's right. And the reality is, neither possessions, nor affections, nor anything else is going to be a legitimate reason for refusing to come to the feast that the king has prepared. On the day of judgment, The king's simply going to ask, why didn't you come? I invited you. I went out of my way to invite you. Why didn't you come? And whatever people say next, it doesn't matter what people say next, it will be just as weak as the excuses that the people in the parable of Luke 14 give. Maybe the key in all of this is for us to understand from Luke 14 That God is not satisfied with a banquet that goes wanting for guests. Let's finish the parable up, verse 21. So the servant came, and he reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and to the lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir... What you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Then go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste my banquet. This here is a little bit of a surprise, to say the least. If you go to all the expense, and you go to all the trouble of throwing a big party, throwing some kind of a big get-together, and nobody shows up, Are you going to go round up a bunch of homeless people to fill your house and make sure you have that party? Hey, get in here. We're going to have this party no matter what. But Jesus says in this parable that our God, He is determined that His house is going to be filled. That that banquet, it will come to pass. And so if those original invitees, if they're not interested, then we're going to go find some folks who will be interested. And of course, it's hard to look at verse 23 and not think about the Gentiles, about the outcasts, and about all those wrong people that the Pharisees didn't want to have anything to do with. But I think that's exactly who Jesus wants us to be thinking about. Those are the kind of people that the right people, well, they're just sure they don't belong at a banquet that is given by God. Yet Jesus says those are the very kinds of people who are going to be at a banquet given by God. And all of those right people, all the quote-unquote right people, they aren't going to be at the banquet. And why? Because their invitation 
has been rescinded. Taken back. Look at verse 24 again. I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my supper. What a stunning reversal that is. This banquet story, it probably hasn't turned out the way that the people who were hearing it in the Pharisees' house, probably not the way they expected this story to end. And I wonder sometimes, I wonder if on Judgment Day, I wonder if we may just be surprised at who all ends up going through those pearly gates. You mean, you mean she's going to heaven? She didn't even go to college. How in the world did she get in? Oh, look at him! I never saw him wear a tie. Boy, how in the world did he make it in? Oh, you mean God's letting that person get in? Well, they didn't grow up in the church. How in the world did they get into heaven? You see how easy it is for us to decide? That the kingdom of God is only for a certain kind of people. Our kind of people. And very quickly we end up deciding that our standards, well, that's going to be the standards that the Lord's going to use. Jesus disrupts all of that. In fact, here in Luke chapter 14, Jesus is even playing on the very common idea that the Jews held to at that time. It was an idea known as the Messianic Banquet. It is the idea that God would come and God would then throw this huge feast, this huge banquet for His people. And if you were a Jew, who did that mean? That meant you and nobody else. That's just for us Jews, these people who are of the physical lineage of Abraham, that banquet's going to be for us and nobody else can come. Jesus says, think again. This banquet's going to look a lot different than you probably imagine. And I'm going to say again, I think there is direct application here to good church-going people who just know, who are just convinced, oh, Judgment Day, that's going to be a breeze for me. I just know that I am in. Yet is it possible? Is it possible that our invitation could be rescinded? Because while we do put on a good show outwardly, hey, we all got dressed up. We all got here early this morning. We're all going through all of the motions of the right things to do on a Sunday morning. Is it possible that inwardly, Inwardly, we are rotten. That maybe, for example, we are harboring private and secret sin. Our drinking, our gambling, our pornography, our hearts being filled with this world instead of with the things of God. And yet, despite all of those shortcomings that I know, God knows and I know, and I know those things are present in my life, I keep telling myself, oh, it's going to be just fine. It'll all work out in the end. It'll be okay. I'll be at the banquet. Jesus says, you might ought to reconsider that. Because what's the Master say again in verse 24? He says, none of those who were invited are going to taste my banquet. I want you to please notice the Master does not say, oh, oh, okay, you've got a field to take care of. You go take care of that field first. Oh, you've got some ox. Okay, you go take care of the ox. Oh, you've got a wife. Okay, when you get back from your honeymoon, then you come back and then we'll, we'll have the banquet again for you. Nope, there's none of that here. The Master says, you had your chance, and now you're out. Excuse makers won't make it to the banquet, and excuse makers can't make it to the banquet. This idea that God is so desperate to have really good people like me in heaven, and so He'll just kind of bend and break the rules for me, and He'll just keep begging and begging and begging me until finally I just cave in and say, okay, okay, I guess I'll go to heaven. 
That defies all that the Bible teaches about the justice of God. And I would tell you it makes an absolute mockery of the teaching of this parable in Luke 14. Nobody knows better about how Judgment Day is going to play out than Jesus. And so Jesus warns us, Hey, stop with all the excuses or you're going to face the potential of being locked out forever. Because God's going to fill up His table. God's house is going to be filled with people who are serious about serving and living for Him. And so that man in verse 15, he did shout out, Blessed is everyone who eats bread in the kingdom of God. I want you to please notice Jesus did not say amen to that. Instead, what Jesus did is He told a parable. A parable that said, you know what, buddy? Many people, many people don't want to eat bread in the kingdom of God. Yeah, a lot of people say that they do. A lot of people even look like they do. But not all of them really do want to eat that bread at the Master's table. What about you? What about you? Do you, have you accepted Jesus' gracious invitation? Or is it possible that you're just preoccupied with just all kinds of other stuff? Your field, your oxen, your wife, all these other things. Why is it that when Christ offers forgiveness, peace, hope, eternal life, We often come up with lame excuses as to why we can't participate fully in the life that Jesus calls us to live. Do you really want to go to the feast? Jesus is inviting. It's up to us to take take Him up on that offer. If you are a Christian, I would sure hope this morning that if you look into your life and you see that you need to make some repairs, there is some changes that need to be made, I would hope that you would seize upon this moment right now to repent and to fully, emphasis, fully respond to that invitation that Jesus has extended to you. If you are not a Christian this morning, if you have never accepted the King's invitation by your obedience to the Gospel of Jesus Christ, then I would hope this morning that you would come to the feast that the Master has prepared. That you would put aside all of your excuse-making and whatever it is that's holding you back. That you would confess your faith in Jesus as God's Son. And that you would then be buried with Him in baptism to have all of your sins washed away. You can reserve your seat at the Master's table this very hour by your response to the Gospel. All things are ready. Will you come to the feast? I hope you will. Why don't you do that right now by making your way to the front. Do that while we stand and while we sing.